Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. All right, we're going to do some Bible readings now um, before Jacko comes up to share the message today. Uh, So the first Bible reading comes from Genesis 18, verses 1 to 8. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamma while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favour in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sears of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to the servant, who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and he and the calf that had been prepared and set these before him. While they ate, he stood near them under the tree. The next reading is from Hebrews 13, verses 1 to 16. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who were mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honoured by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Thanks, Kim. That's great. All right, good everyone. I'm Simon, lead pastor here at City Light Church in North Adelaide. If you were tempted to close your Bible... As you know, Kim wrapped up Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 to 16. Then can I encourage you to open it up again? Um, or, you know, open your phone up, whatever that might look like. Um, because we're going to be sort of in Hebrews 13, then we're going to do it, be doing a bit of Bible flicking around. So there are some Bibles sort of in the pews around you and things like that. It'd be good to be there. Uh, tonight we are continuing our series, uh, Common Sense for the Silly Season. Tonight, uh, last week, uh, we thought about how do we cope with consumerism at this time of the year. Um, I don't know, like it's the silly season, uh, you know, there's magazines, there's um, catalogues appearing in your letterbox and inbox and encouraging you to spend big. Um, we thought a little bit last week about what it might look like to consume in a way that leaves you refreshed. Uh, financially a bit better off, relationally kind of richer, uh, and spiritually uh, richer as well. And we thought about that. Uh, the week before that, we thought about um, you know, this time of year, we all get lumped together with family and friends and maybe some colleagues that we've tried to avoid for most of the year at Christmas parties. And we thought about what it might look like to deal with difficult people. Uh, and we thought about Romans 12 and what it looks like to live in the light of the mercy of God, who's actually saved and loved sinners like us, And with that kind of resource, we can begin to love those who are difficult 
but also comfortably live at peace with those we find really hard to live with as well. So we thought a bit about that. Today we're thinking about showing hospitality and uh, just as a way in, a couple of really, I like, I like reading books um, and uh, I like kind of shortish books as well. Um, so I've got a couple of shortish books to share with you. Uh, two books, one is called Compelling, The Compelling Community, um, where God's power makes a church attractive. So as you think about showing hospitality, this is a really excellent book. Uh, it's out of the, the Nine Mark series, so from the US. Uh, Mark Dever, Jamie Dunlop, some really practical thoughts arising from the scriptures on what it looks like to be a community of God's people that is really compelling and seeks to not just reach out to the world around us, but as we love one another, that has a powerful impact on the world around us. So really helpful book there. So if you're looking for a Christmas present, hey, you could do this one. Um, this one as well is really helpful. Um, this is by a woman named Rosaria Butterfield. Anyone heard of Rosaria Butterfield? She, she went through an amazing kind of life transformation when she met Jesus. Um, she also happens to be perhaps one of the best writers I've ever read. Um, she is um, thoughtful, engaging, wise, biblical, um, and uh, yeah, deeply Jesus-centred as she writes. So um, I can really encourage you to get this one. This one's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key, Practicing Radical Ordinary Hospitality in Our Post-Christian World. That's a mouthful, yeah? Um, but The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Again, come to know Jesus. Uh, he opened himself up to all people. As Christians, we perhaps ought to do the same, and so should our houses. So um, more complex than that, but a really great book. Again, I think both of these books, I make no money out of these, by the chance, um, around the $20 mark as well. Um, so perhaps a thoughtful gift to give, but helpful as we think about showing hospitality at Christmas. That's what we're looking at today. Let me pray as we come to this subject, showing hospitality. Um, let's pray. Lord, thank you for bringing us all here tonight. Uh, Lord, we, we recognise we're a few down tonight, and that's because so many of us are serving uh, people at schoolies down at Victor Harbour and Port Elliot and Middleton right now. And so, Father, we just bring to mind and our hearts and to you these uh, brothers and sisters who've given up uh, their time uh, to use their talents and resources to care for young men and women celebrating the end of their time at school uh, with one another uh, thanks for the gospel witness that they are. Thank you for the safety that they're experiencing so far. And thank you for the news, Lord, of many good gospel conversations and lots of gospel-generated love that's happening down there. So we pray for continued safety uh, for the schoolies, for the green team, uh, Father, and that ultimately you'd get a lot of glory and we'd see men and women come to know Jesus. Uh, and Lord, help us tonight who are here, uh, Lord, to see Jesus by your Spirit, to hear Jesus by your Spirit through your Word and to love Jesus uh, by your spirit and through your word. Um, help us, Father, in light of the hospitality you've shown to us, to show that to others, uh, that they might become family as we are family in you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, today we are thinking about what it looks like to show hospitality during the silly season. This talk, if you came to this talk thinking, wow, I can't wait for Simon to tell me how to put on Christmas lunch um, or how to throw a great Christmas dinner or even maybe you know, a bit further into New Year, you've come to the wrong guy. Um, I'm not going to tell you how to throw the best Christmas lunch or Christmas dinner this year. Uh, you can go online to find that out. Uh, you can read Better Homes and Gardens. Um, not this particular issue. This was probably published back in 1992 because I found it out there. Um, but... Um, but you, but you could also watch Better Homes and Gardens on Friday nights. Um, and no doubt their Christmas special, maybe it's already come and gone. I don't know. But you could Friday night if you have nothing better to do. I don't know what time it starts. But watch Better Homes and Gardens, no doubt the Christmas bonanza, and you'll find out how to do that. Rather tonight, I want us to think about the Bible and what God has to say about what it looks like for us to show hospitality. And I want to look at it under sort of four headings tonight, four things. Um, and they, they are this, the place of hospitality. I want to think about the meaning of hospitality, the importance of hospitality, and the power of hospitality. That's what I want to think about tonight. So the, the place, the meaning, the importance and the power of hospitality. So first, the place of hospitality, right? Um, now, whether you've been a Christian for like five minutes or if you've been a Christian for like 50 years, I don't know, when it comes to thinking about hospitality, I think we can think of it as one of those things that I know we're kind of meant to do and I should do it now and then, kind of ticking that kind of 
list of things that we ought to be doing as Christians, you know, kind of show hospitality. But what I want to show you as we start tonight is that there's a logic to the Christian life which kind of places hospitality at a very key point in that, all right? One of the great places when it comes to thinking about the Christian life, how to do the Christian life, what the Christian life is, is to go to the wonderful Hebrews chapter 13. That's why we had it read tonight. Um, it's right up there with Romans 12, which we looked at in week one. as to one of the, the really great places to go to think through. What does it actually look like to live out this Christian life thing? And in the, the book of Hebrews chapter 13, I think we kind of come across the threefold kind of structure of the Christian life. Three key elements that make up our Christian lives. And the three elements are these. That the social aspect, Hebrews 13, 1 to 3. The moral aspect of the Christian life, verses 4 to 6. And then the theological part of our Christian lives, verses 7 and following. So we're going to think about those three things just briefly as we launch into this idea of showing hospitality. And we're going to go in reverse, right? So we're going to start on the right, theological, and zoom across to the social. So firstly, right, um, I don't know if you've got it open in front of you, Hebrews chapter 13, um, but verses 7 to 10, the author of Hebrews is urging the recipients of the letter, a bunch of Christians, to stay true to the Lord Jesus Christ, to stay true to the gospel. In effect, the author is saying, stay true to sound doctrine. Don't waver on that. So verse 7, right, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. He's basically saying, stay true to the word of God. And I think that's what verse 8 is all about, the second, the bolded verse there. Um, You know, the gospel doesn't change. Jesus doesn't change, right? So Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So don't change the gospel. Keep living out the gospel. Don't change the gospel. In verse 9, be alert also to kind of weird, funky teachings that might be going around. So verse 9, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. It's basically saying avoid strange teachings, stick to the grace of God, stick to the gospel. So my point, friends, tonight as we start is that theology really, 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 really matters. That's what I'm saying tonight. And, and if you're a Christian here tonight, you are an, an amateur theologian. I'm an amateur theologian. We're all theologians. Why does theology matter? Well, it matters because it provides the kind of the logic, the foundation for living out the Christian life. Without it, you'll kind of go all over the place. But if you stick with sound theology, got the gospel, that'll actually help you live out the Christian life. Um, in particular, right, if you, if you just like jettison the grace of God, right, you throw out the grace of God, that's, why, that's basically throwing out the whole foundation for why we should show hospitality. So remember that little nugget just right there as we think about showing hospitality. Secondly, as we move then into the moral dimension, right, so the, yep, The gospel, right, if you believe in the gospel, it actually has implications for how you live your life, and in particular here, your sex life and your kind of cash life, how you deal with your money, right? You can't avoid this. If you've come to know Jesus and his grace and and he's got a word to say about your body and sex life and how you use your cash, then, well, it's an imperative that we listen to him. And that's really what verse 4 is all about. So marriage should be honoured by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulter, adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. My point here, right, is if you're a Christian, if you've come to know the grace of God, then, like for Christians, we're concerned about morality. We're into morals. Jesus was into it, right? His, his gospel is into it. We, we care about morality. And because we care about morality as Christians here at City Light Church, North Adelaide, sometimes in our community out there in the world, we're going to get labelled right-wing conservatives, the moral people. You know, we're going to get that label, right-wing conservatives, because we hold to particular views on sexuality, on how we should use our resources and things like that. Again, if you lose the gospel, right, you're going to lose all the reason for caring about those things in a way that we do. We're going to get labelled that, right, on one side. But on the flip side, right, because of other things we hold to, 
because we have a social conscience, we're also going to get called like bleeding heart, left-wing liberals as well, right? So on this side, right-wing conservatives. This side, bleeding heart, left-wing lefties. Because we'll have a look at verses 1 to 3. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who were mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. That's where we kind of get the bleeding heart, left-wing, lefty, liberal thing from. And that gives rise ultimately right to the third dimension, that social aspect of our Christian lives. Theology matters. Morality matters, and so does this social dimension, right? As followers of Jesus, saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus, saved by his grace, we're called to love others. We're called to love the foreigners, strangers, the prisoners, the oppressed, those who are suffering. That's the bleeding heart bit, right? This means that genuine followers of Jesus, right, just as a bit of an aside, not to get all political and stuff like that, but that means as followers of Jesus... Bible-believing followers of Jesus, we, we can't fit neatly into, like, the liberal camp polit- politically. We can't fit neatly into the Labor camp really neatly, the Greens, the Democrats, whoever else it is. Because, you know, if we swung to the right-wing liberal, like, conservatives and went, yep, we're all about morality, we've got to, we, we, and we don't care at all about social justice, well, that's not living out the gospel. But if we swung this way, right, we're all about caring for people, we don't really care how people live, well, then we've swung the pendulum the other way. Both, actually, are, are Christian heresies, actually. Both seem to ignore, ultimately, theology. The theology of grace that actually binds together morality and mercy. So there's the, the three things. So like church, you know, church here, City Light Church North Adelaide, we can embrace morality and we can embrace social ethics through the theology of God's grace. And hospitality, showing hospitality, it is a key part of our social ethics as Christians. Ought to be a key part of our social ethics here at City Light Church North Adelaide, showing hospitality. Hospitality has a key place in our lives. That's the key. That's the, that's the place of hospitality. Secondly, the meaning of hospitality. Now, I don't know. Here's a picture on the screen. Often when I think about the word hospitality, I think about like having some people over for dinner. You know, what am I going to cook? You know, they're coming at 6 and it's now 5.50pm. What am I going to throw together? You know, what do they like to eat? What food intolerances do they have? You know, um, do they like wine? Do they not drink wine? You know, all this sort of stuff. That's, that's often what I think about hospitality. Um, and especially at this time of year, it's all about what am I going to put on the table on Christmas Day? And particularly in Australia, if it's going to be 50 degrees, do you cook the turkey? Or do you just get the prawns? I don't know. You know, all these kinds of things. But I reckon the meaning of hospitality is is heaps richer than that. Now, you've heard me say, right, grammar is good for you, right? You've heard that before. I want to say etymology is really good for you as well. Okay, because, right, um, the meaning of words, that's what etymology basically is. The etymology of the word hospitality is just absolutely spectacular, right? It is, it is you know, like, this, is, this keeps me up at night. Um, it is, so it's a compound word, right? In Greek, the word hospitality is that word in the middle, philoxenia. Can you say that with me? Philoxenia. So when you have lunch on Christmas Day, you say, we're doing a bit of philoxenia here. And they'll go, wow, you're incredible. You know, which church do you go to? No, um, let's say it again. Let's say it again with me. Philoxenia. Yeah, that's the original Greek word. It's a compound word. And you can see philos, that's, that's love, right? Philo, you know, from which we get philosophy, the love of wisdom, philology, the love of language. On the flip side, right, xenia or xenos means stranger. Or foreigner. Now, we often use in our vernacular xenophobia. Yeah, xenophobic. Fear of the stranger. There you go. Hospitality, philoxenia, love for the stranger. And so have a look with me at chapter 13, verses 1 to 2. The writer of Hebrews says, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. 
do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Do you see? Hospitality is love of the stranger. Now, just to get a little bit geeky and greeky uh, on this particular night, this opening exhortation um, would have sounded really lovely if you were a Greek-speaking person in the first century and this person's just reading out this letter before you. You would have gone, ah, that sounds so nice. English we're going, doesn't sound very nice to me. But listen to this, right? Because verse 1 says, keep on loving one another, brothers and sisters. So that's Philadelphia, love for brother. So what the writer basically is saying is, keep on doing Philadelphia and don't forget Philoxenia. That's what he's saying. Um, love the family, but also love the stranger. Love strangers as if they were family. It's pretty much what the writer is saying. In the ancient world, when, when this letter was written and read, it was really common that you would only show hospitality to your biological family. That was as far as it really would go. Or, or particularly influential people you might throw the door open to. But in the light of God's grace, with the advent, with the coming of Jesus, Christians are now to consider even strangers as family. You know, that inviting strangers in as a traveller comes through your town, you'd sort of say, yep, come in and I'll, throw the, I'll give you a room and I'll put a spread out on the table for you. you know, whether they were prisoners, whether they were the oppressed, verse 3, brothers or strangers, everyone gets invited. So our working definition of hospitality, or say it with me, philoxenia, is treating strangers as family. So that's the meaning of hospitality. Which then leads us to our third point. You're going, wow, Jacko's moving tonight. Maybe we'll get out of here before nine. I don't know. Maybe we won't. Thirdly, the importance of hospitality. So we thought about the, the, the place of hospitality. It's key in the Christian life. Flows out of our theology of understanding God's grace. We thought about the meaning of hospitality. You know, it's treating strangers as family. Now the importance of hospitality. It's really important. It's really important. When I was reading that book, um, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, um, Rosaria Butterfield highlights the fact that in the New Testament, the call to Christians to show hospitality occurs the same number of times as the call for Christians to be honest in their lives. And it's also equivalent to the number of times we're called to show nonviolence in the scriptures. It's really interesting. It's really, I mean, I didn't notice that before. Nor do I, I don't do theology or the Christian life by numbers, but I think that's really interesting. Hospitality comes up really regularly as part of our Christian lives. Now, hospitality is not this kind of throwaway idea that you know, only some people have the gift to do or only some people really should do it. It's actually something we really need to consider and perhaps redress and imbalance in our individual lives, our family lives, and also as a church. And so here, here's a snapshot, right, of the New Testament calls to show hospitality, to treat strangers as family. Here they come. Romans chapter 12, verse 13. We were there a couple of weeks ago. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice philoxenia. Practice hospitality. Um, now the overseer, 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is a word to like myself as an elder or our elders. Um, now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, Showing hospitality, able to teach. Goes on, Titus chapter 1, verse 8, similar thing. Rather, an elder, an overseer, must be hospitable. One who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. It goes on. Uh, more. Uh, Hebrews 13, here we are. You know, um, love one another, do not forget to show hospitality. And then this is the challenging one, 1 Peter 4, verse 9. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Who struggles with that? I struggle with that. No, 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 not all the time. Yeah, Nick does. Good on you, Nick. Well done. Um, and this is just a snapshot, right? This is a snapshot of the call to hospitality. This is before we even kind of think about how the Bible as a whole kind of loads up with weight the importance of this concept of hospitality. Now, I wonder, did you see in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, that interesting reference and connection between hospitality and entertaining angels? Did you, did you read that and go... What is that about? Um, you know, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without 
Knowing it, what does that mean? And here is your opportunity to turn to the person next to you for 90 seconds, and if you get in really quickly, you can say, what do you think that means? And you can just listen to their random answer. Um, have a quick, turn to the person next to you. What do you think it means to show hospitality and maybe you'll entertain angels? Have a quick go, see what you come up with. All right. I'm not sure if I should throw it out to the open tonight or if we just crack on. Anyone, I'm going to throw it out there. Who, who reckons they've got the 10 word, the, the tweet answer, you know, that's just going to knock the socks off? Anyone? Someone said, got no idea. That's great. That's fine. That's a good start, you know. I asked Adele, I'm going to say this. She goes, there are angels walking around. That's what she said. Mm. That'd be pretty dramatic, wouldn't it? A bit of wing, a bit of action at dinner. Well, <laughs> you like some wings. Kim, there you go. <laughs> Christmas resident. Sorted, sorted. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, I don't know, like, so as we come to this, like, it's, it's a verse that's interesting. Um, it struck me whenever I've come across it and, you know, sort of thought, what does that mean? I mean, yeah, does it mean like, you know, you throw your home open, you throw the doors open, and it's like a lucky door prize, right? You know, someone walks in, bing, you know, they're an angel, and you go, wow, that's incredible. You know, oh my goodness. You know, we had Tom and Maggie around for dinner the other night, like, you know, and then over dinner you find out they're angels. I mean, like, they kind of are, right, as you, if you know them really well. Um, the writer, I think what the writer to the Hebrews is actually alluding to is an Old Testament story. Um, and it actually is the Old Testament story that we had read out just before Hebrews 13. So Genesis chapter 18 and verses 1 to 8. It's a story, uh, Genesis 18, um, it's a story featuring Abraham, the father of God's people. Um, I should throw it out there. Anyone sort of identify this? You know, want to put their hand up and go, yep. Yeah, Benny, good work, mate. Good job, yeah. Um, it's, you know, Genesis 18, first book of the Bible, uh, Abraham, the father of God's people. Uh, and it's referring to this story. It was probably, this is probably the first example in Genesis chapter 18 of hospitality in the Bible that we actually have. Um, so Abraham's there, three people kind of rock up. He provides a feast, he and Sarah, and then he discovers, whoa, they're angels. But what I think is fascinating is this first verse of chapter 18. Uh, the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Now, we could talk all day and all night about this one particular verse, right? The Lord appears, right? The Lord appears. Three people rock up, right? Three angels. I'm thinking, Holy Trinity, the Trinity, God, Father, Son, and Spirit, you know? Good thing we've got pastor on tonight because we can sit there for hours negotiating this particular text. But I think the point is, right, in showing hospitality, Abraham met God. In showing hospitality, Abraham met God. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean for you? What does that mean for me as we think about the silly season and showing hospitality? Well, what I want to say is I think that means that hospitality is more than simply material that you stick in a pot or put on a table. Hospitality is more than the wine on the table, the cheese and the crackers you serve at the beginning, the turkey or the prawns and that sort of stuff. It's spiritual. I'd even say that hospitality is divine. God is there in the midst of our hospitality. And you actually see this throughout the scriptures, right from the book of Genesis the creation to revelation, the new creation. Here's a diagram that's going to pop up to sort of show this. You see it right through in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, from the first book of the Bible to the last book of the Bible, we see that God, the living God of the Bible, is the great philozenos, the great host, all the way through. The great host who loves the foreigner all the way through the Scriptures. And we, I'm just going to trace it out for you. We see this right at the very beginning in the book of Deuteronomy, in the book of the law. 
We see it in the writings, you know, Ecclesiastes, uh, Job, Proverbs and Psalms. We see it played out in the prophets, um, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah and the minor prophets. And we see it all the way through the Gospels, into the book of Acts and into the letters and things like that. But So come with me just briefly to Deuteronomy chapter 10 in the law, right? We, we read this, the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. The Lord shows hospitality to the foreigner and to the stranger. And then the Lord calls on his people who is saved by grace, living in his land, living in his house. He says to them, you too, like me, welcome and, and put on a spread for the foreigner, for the stranger. That's in the law, the first part of the Bible. You then jump into the writings, right, into, into the Psalms and into Psalm 23, really familiar Psalm, Psalm 23. How does the first bit go? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He lays me down beside green pastures, you know. He, he keeps me. You know, that first stanza, right? But then you, know, you tip into the second stanza and we read this. The Lord, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God is the great host. You know, David, he emerges from the valley of the shadow of death, and he's welcomed into the Lord's house. He's running from his enemies. The doors of the Lord's house are swung open, and the Lord says, here, David, sit at, sit at my table, and I'm going to throw you a banquet. He has massive spread, oil on his head, a ritual kind of welcoming of a guest, you know, an overflowing glass. I went to a pub last night for dinner, and I got poured this stingy glass of red wine, right, and had to pay like $50 million for it. That's not the Lord. The cup is overflowing. I'll tell you which that pub is. Don't go there. No, the Lord, the Lord is the great host. Yes, yeah, so we've got the, the law telling us that the Lord is the great host, the great Philozenos. We've got the writings, the Lord is the great host, the great Philozenos. And then we go into Isaiah. And what is the picture that the prophets paint of the coming future kingdom of God? What is it? It's a banquet. God hosting a banquet. So Isaiah, wonderful passage. Love this passage. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all the nations. He will swallow up death forever. The kingdom of God is a banquet hosted by God for the foreigner. The best of food, that the feast of rich food, of aged wines, of the best meats, of the finest wines. This is a banquet hosted by God Himself for all peoples, foreigners and strangers alike. And if you know your Bible well, right, this become, this image of a feast and a banquet becomes a central image in the New Testament when anyone's talking about the future coming kingdom. In the New Testament letters, in, in the Gospels as well. So it's no surprise, right, when God himself shows up on planet Earth in human flesh, when Emmanuel, God with us, comes, where do we find him? He's at a banquet, talking about a future feast and inviting all people to come in and join in. So if you go to Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 14, there's heaps of parties going on in the Gospel of Luke, right? If you want a party gospel, go to the Gospel of Luke. It's this party happening all the time, and Jesus is at all the parties, right? Um, Luke 14, you get this lovely passage where Jesus is at a banquet. Someone asks him about the big banquet, and Jesus has something really cool to say back. So verse 15 of chapter 14. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. He's thinking Isaiah 25. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. He then goes on. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. 
Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. It's a picture in Luke chapter 14 of Israel, God's original people, rejecting God's invitation to the great banquet and then the servant going out to get everyone else to come on in. That's the picture. And again, if you know your Bible pretty well, right, this is chapter 14 of Luke's Gospel, you turn the page into Luke 15 and you see Jesus practising hospitality to the outsider. He gets into trouble for doing that and then he tells a parable about an insider, an outsider coming in. Do you know the parable that I'm talking about? Anyone? Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son. Parable of the prodigal son. Here is the Jesus Storybook Bible's depiction of the parable of the prodigal son. Luke 15 begins this way. Have a look at this. Now the tax collectors and sinners, they're the outsiders, were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, and listen to what they're about to mutter about. They're about to mutter about hospitality. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So then Jesus told this parable, and you know the parable, the parable of the prodigal son. The father has two sons. One of the sons comes to the father and says, hey, dad, I know you're not dead yet, but can I have all the inheritance that I'm going to get when you die? That's just a piece of advice for me. Don't do that. Um, If your dad's still around and you're thinking, maybe I'll get the inheritance, just don't do that. But the father graciously gives him that portion of the inheritance. He leaves, goes to a foreign land, squanders everything that the father has given him while living. He ends up in the pig pen, not even able to eat the scraps that the pigs are even eating. He's covered in mud. He's a mess. And then we're told in Luke 15, this son comes to his senses. And I reckon, I love that, that's what it means to become a Christian, right? To come to your senses by God's grace. And he returns home. And you know the scene, right? That scene there. The, the father is waiting for the son to come. The son comes over the horizon. And the, the father's going, oh my gosh, it's my son. He's come home. I know he's done all these terrible things. He's squandered the inheritance. But what does the father do? He runs out to meet him. He embraces his son. And he says, come on in. And he throws a robe around him. He puts a ring on his finger. He puts sandals on his feet. And then verse 23, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Do you see the logic? Jesus is feasting and celebrating with sinners. He gets into trouble for it. So he tells a story about a father throwing a banquet for a sinner. My point Jesus' point, love of the outsider is not just an item that we tick off on the list of Christian things that we ought to do. It arises from the very heart and the very nature of God himself. And so it ought to be at the heart and character of God's redeemed people. The Bible makes hospitality not just a thing we're meant to do, it makes it a necessity of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Why? Because God is the ultimate philozenos. He's the ultimate lover of the stranger. And so finally, this is, this is where the power comes for hospitality. The power of hospitality. Now, we've, des- we've defined hospitality as treating strangers as family. But here's the key thing I want to say. Hospitality actually makes... Hospitality has the power to make that a reality, to make strangers, or to see strangers become family. Hospitality has the power to do that, to move a stranger from someone who we know deeply, someone who then becomes part of the family. Those who are very far from Christ can come to Christ and not just have their sins forgiven, but be adopted into the family of God's people through hospitality. Yeah, Jesus did this. 
I mentioned Luke, right? Luke's gospel. It's just like Jesus going from one nightclub to another. No, not quite. But one party to another, to another, to another. He goes to loads of parties. He seems to really love in, in feasting and celebrating and enjoying the great things of creation. He's into it. But that's not the point. Because like I said before, in ancient times, you only invited into your house those people that you considered you know, equal religiously or on a similar social kind of status. But think about this, you know, Jesus sought opportunities to eat with sinners. He left himself by doing that wide open to criticism that, that he would get stained by their sin. If you hang out with sinners, they're going to rub off on you and you're going to get in, you know, get in some trouble. And so Jesus got this reputation right of being a glutton and a drunkard and a, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That wasn't a compliment, by the way, like he, that was not good. But, but Jesus reversed the logic, right? So rather than you hang out with sinners and you're going to become like them, Jesus' approach was, I'm going to hang out with sinners and I'm going to welcome them into my grace. Jesus said the power goes the other way. I'm not stained by their sin. They're sanctified by my love. So good. That's the power of hospitality, turning strangers into family. And you know what? I stand here tonight, a follower of the Lord Jesus, and a testimony to the power of hospitality, humanly speaking, through these two people, Ralph and Julie Dowdell. When I met Ralph, this is, you might have heard my story. I was out on my bike in Adelaide Hills riding, um, and I chased Ralph up a climb between Macclesfield and Meadows. I was competitive, didn't want anyone to beat me to the top, so I put my foot down, I got him. Just sort of gave him a wink as I went past. And then a few days later, I met up with him again, not this is completely randomly by chance, or not by chance because God's in control, but I met him again out on the road and, and we rode together this time. I didn't sort of snub him. We rode and then as cyclists do, you know, those guys who walk around in lycra, you know, clip-clopping with their funky shoes on, sipping lattes, you know, and, you know, trying to be a hipster. No, um, well, often, this, is, this is actually before they were hipsters, actually, um, but Ralph and I would ride bikes together, we'd drink coffee together. And over the time, Ralph shared the good news with me. Gave me a copy of Mark's Gospel, said you need to read this. But it wasn't just reading Mark's Gospel that, that convinced me that Jesus was the most extraordinary and the best idea out there in the world. It was these guys' incredible hospitality. They invited me to church. And they'd say, hey, Simon, come back to our house for church. Sometimes it was lunch with just the two of them and they'd talk and share their life. Sometimes they would invite me back and like six or seven other people and, and they'd invite me back and then there'd be a prayer session starting. All these people are praying in tongues. I'm going, what the heck is going on here? But the food was great. Their love was genuine. It was incredible. And, you know, he, and Ralph put up with me like I was a, I was a jerk. I was a womanizer. I drank too much alcohol. You know, Ralph even put a paintbrush in my hand and said, hey, come and paint my house and I'll give you some cash to do it. Come and work with me. These guys just welcomed me into their home, shared their lives with me. You know, and I reckon it's a Genesis 18 moment. Like, I don't know if these guys are angels or not, but God, the Lord used them powerfully. They treated me like I was part of their family. These guys, they mean so much, humanly speaking, so much to me. Here's a quote from Tim Chester. He talks about making a, this is in a paper called Making a Meal of It. Jesus ate meals with people. If we routinely share meals and we have a passion for Jesus, then we'll almost certainly end up doing mission. It's not the meals alone save people. People are saved through the gospel message. But meals create natural opportunities to share the message in a context that resonates powerfully with what we're saying. Question to us all tonight is are we conveying God's grace? Are you loving the foreigner? Are you loving the outsider? I just want to share, as we close tonight, just five ways. I'm into top fives. Again, this is not the exhaustive list of ways we can express this kind of God's hospitable love for the foreigner, but these are five ways perhaps we here locally can express this. Not just this silly season, but as we live for Jesus and love like Jesus in this city going forward. Here's my five. The first one is this. Invite neighbours into your house. Invite neighbours into your house. You know, I'm not saying here, you know, invite your neighbour around for a 
you know, three-course meal with canapes to start and petty fours for the end of it. No, I'm saying maybe just for a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, an afternoon beer or a glass of wine. Invite them in. It doesn't have to be huge. But just welcome them to your house. I don't know, we, we live in Prospect, Adele and I, and as I drive around the streets of Prospect, I've only been there for like a bit over 12 months, but the fences are getting higher. Notice that? Wherever you live, fences are getting really high. You know, and, and I think that's because we've got this mentality, right, that our homes are our fortress, our homes are our refuge. But you know what? I reckon if Jesus lived on Marion Place Prospect where we are, number five, you're welcome to drop in any time. We have a big fence. I don't like it. I want to bulldoze it. No. But I reckon if Jesus lived in our house, he'd say, don't want that fence. Don't want a big fence. Because I don't like fortresses. You know, I'm all about welcoming people in. Someone once said we should um, build lower fences and build longer tables. I reckon that's a really good comment. Christians, we don't live in fortresses. The gospel has to shape our homes. So invite your neighbours around into your house, maybe this Christmas, first time. Take a punt. Secondly, share meals with your church family. Now, you've come on a good night, right? If you're visiting here tonight, we have meals together every second week. And you know what? I was thinking about this during the week, right? You know how there's this sort of hospitality isn't just material, like putting pizza or pasta or burritos on the table. There's something kind of spiritual about it, something divine about it. I reckon a really significant work of God has been through those meals over the past three years, every fortnight meeting together around food. It's been a really good thing to have church food together as a family. But I reckon we could do better at inviting each other into our homes like sharing meals with our church family, not just resting on Sunday nights every second week, but actually saying, no, I want, I want people to come around. Because you know what happens when that happens? Like, well, the Lord is probably there. But significant bonding happens in those moments that can't happen when we just hang out briefly on a Sunday night. You know, we, we get to start asking one another questions that sort of just open up our hearts a little bit. How's your soul going? How's your walk with Jesus going lately? Anything we can talk about? Because, you know, we want to be, as God's people, making progress, right? Becoming more like Jesus. And sometimes, just that moment to moment here on Sunday nights, it's a good thing to come together. But some things we just lack that depth. And I reckon as we get together as a church family, small places around the city, that's going to be transformative. So, brothers and sisters, share meals with each other. Make it happen. Make it a priority for 2020. That's going to be a great thing to do. Thirdly, invite people to church. If our church, right, we talk about our church as a church family all the time, right? Do you feel that? We're a church family here at Church City Light Church North Adelaide. We're a church family. If we are a family, let's welcome strangers in so they can become part of our family. Let's do that. Uh, Rodney Stark, um, he's a sociologist in the US. He wrote a great book called The Rise of Christianity where he explores you know, the, the ebbs and flows of the Christian faith through time. Um, he writes in one particular section, he, he analyses what is it that causes Bible-believing evangelical churches to grow and to flourish? Like how do they grow numerically? He's done a heap of analysis to find that out. And you know what the answer is? The number one reason why churches grow, like us here at City Light Church North Adelaide, is simply invitations from members of church to their neighbours, inviting them to come along and hang out. That's the number one reason why churches grow, through personal invitations. Come to church. Hang out with us. It's not awesome music. It's not wonderful preaching whoever else preaches. It's, it's not amazing, powerful messages. It's not we have the finest B3 coffee beans served at the front door, or oh, that's a really neat thing. It's not having a perfect building because I don't think we have one of those. No, it's simply personal invitations. Invite people to church. We are a family. Let's invite and welcome strangers into our church family so they might too become family members. That's my third thing. Fourthly, Basically, flows from this. Welcome visitors who come to City Light Church North Adelaide. If you're here tonight and you're a visitor, you're very welcome to City Light Church North Adelaide. One of the amazing things I think we experience here at City Light Church North is that every single week, I reckon since I've been here, there's always been a new person at church. 
There's actually lots of churches in this city, in Australia, who might get one new person visiting every single year. It's not uncommon. We have this beautiful opportunity to welcome people all the time into our family. So let's host them like God. Let's host them like Jesus would. And fifthly and finally, I want to encourage you tonight to relax in your seat at Jesus' table. Relax in your seat at Jesus' table. I want you to ponder afresh tonight. I want you to ponder afresh, maybe throughout this silly season, God's welcome of you, a sinner, to his table. That he's poured you a cup of blessing which is overflowing. And you know what? The more you get that, the more you'll be able to show hospitality this silly season. You know, there's people in this room I know, and you'd say, hey, but Jacko, I'm like, I'm like an introvert, man. Like, I'm the very definition of introvert. Like, the idea of having anyone into my house and showing hospitality, I just, I, I, I lose sleep over that kind of concept. You know what? I'm not asking you to kind of do the impossible. But I'm asking what I'm, I think what the Word of God is calling us to do is, you know, God has shown you incredible hospitality. As a stranger, he's welcomed you into his family. So as you are able to, within kind of your shape, welcome other people in as well. Show hospitality. That might be a simple, hey, come and have a cup of tea. May not be the three-course meal. But relax in your seat at Jesus' table. As you remember afresh God's welcome of you, a stranger, into his family, to his table, that he's poured you a cup of blessing which is spewing over the top of the edge. Let that thrust you out today and into this silly season. So hospitality, brothers and sisters, where strangers become loved ones and part of our family. Lord, may it be so. Should we pray together? Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you, Father, for the reminder tonight that you are the great uh, philo-xenos. You are the great host. And Lord, we pray, Father, that uh, tonight with this fresh vision of who you are and what you've done for us, that you've welcomed us strangers here tonight into your family. Father, I pray that, Father, we might uh, this night and this silly season, uh, Father, be a little bit more like you. Father, we realise you're not calling us to be people that we're not. You're not calling us to be um, extroverted and throwing invitations out all over the place when we can't do that. But Lord, I pray that, Father, you'd help us all here tonight to show hospitality, that we might be a church that is deeply welcoming, that we might see some strangers come into our family, into your family, Come to know what it means to be a beloved child of you and of your son, the Lord Jesus. So, Father, use us, shape us, and make us more like your son. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful, and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.